Welcome to The Other Coast, the Malifaux podcast out of Southern California. My name's Colgan, and joining me today is Jim. Hey, everybody. Hey, Jim. Um, so unfortunately, um, wait, why can't I? <laughs> so yeah. unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> I just had the biggest brain fart. I was thinking too hard about like the introduction. Um, so unfortunately, Jeff couldn't join us. And I guess if he's not here for the next episode, I'll just completely forget about his existence. Uh, so. You know, it, it happens. You know, we all have those senior moments. <laughs> um, anyways. So today, I I wanted to talk about kind of competitions, uh, the competitive spirit, and like what motivates people to join or participate in tournaments. And I, I guess part of what sparked this is I was reading some articles recently at our store. There's been a new kick into a new 40k slow growth league, which I myself am not participating in, but I am kind of an interested spectator. Mm-hmm. and. You know, looking through stuff again, because whenever I kind of get interested in a game, I end up like reading a bunch of like peripheral stuff, like what's strong, like what's everyone using. And I stumbled upon like two articles that I thought were pretty interesting. One was put out by Goonhammer talking about kind of how um, people, I guess, competitive players are the ones that tend to be interested in, you know, setting up tournaments and are the ones that kind of end up building communities for people to play at, which kind of makes sense because people that have like friends that they play with at home and just play in their basement or at their smaller gaming groups, they don't necessarily need to go to the gaming store to find opponents, right? They already have tons of people to play against. And then another article was someone talking about playing uncompetitive armies in 40k. And like Mm -hmm. he listed a bunch of interesting reasons, but at the end of the article, he's like, you know, at the end of it, like 40k as it is right now is just a broken mess. And this would not be like considered acceptable in like any other game, like where you have like armies that are that have a 30% win rate at tournaments, like you look at this data, and like, there's something horribly wrong here. And it kind of made me think about, I guess, Malifaux or other tabletop games and kind of the tournament scenes and kind of thinking about, I guess, my own participation, how even though, you know, I have like a podcast where I talk about Malifaux, I play Malifaux pretty much every single week. I Mm -hmm. haven't had any real desire to participate in like the Malifaux World Series or play on a larger stage, even though I'm very interested in like the tactics, like the general meta and, Mm -hmm. you know, improving my play from game to game. And you, Jim, who I guess is the only one in the pod that regularly attends tournaments, I guess I was a little bit curious about what your motivations are for participating in like the Malifaux World Series, because I know you're also fairly active in your local scene as well. Mm-hmm. That is fair. I would ask that you put those articles, either send them to me or put them in the show notes, because those sound fascinating. I would like to respond that. For me personally, tournaments are as much about the social aspect of gaming as the it, it's two things. OK, it's it's the social aspect because I need social interaction. Mm-hmm. And that's why I really enjoy my weekly game night at the store, because I go, I see my people, you know, 
we can chat, we can play a game, but it's really, it's, it's the, so it's the hangout aspect. The game is a vehicle for that. Mm -hmm. The other side is for me, I enjoy puzzles and unlocking puzzles always have since I've been a kid. It did some word puzzles, did some Sudoku, some of those physical puzzles. And then war gaming is like the best puzzle. <laughs> and that's what kind of drew me into this world. Cause you can have so many permutations of how to unlock a, a game. And it's not just, you know, here's your scenario. Here's your cruise. This is one objective way to play the game. Like it was in guild ball, but it, for Malifaux in particular, it's like there are infinite possible correct ways to play. Mm -hmm. So exploring those really gives my brain the happy chemicals. Mm -hmm. And tournaments are organized games that say you will have a X number of games in Y period of time. So I go to tournaments because it gets me my <laughs> fix. Right. <laughs> um, so I don't know if that necessarily <laughs> addresses um, your question about game balance that you were bringing up and and all that. Would you like to dig more into that? Um. Yeah. I guess, I guess what I I wanted to go with like motivations a little bit more as well because I I was talking to you a little about in the pre-show though, but because it sounds like part of the appeal for the tournaments is that you're able to get in like a certain amount of games, right? Like assured, like you're going to have this many people, you're going to play this many games and like a time period you know ahead of time mm -hmm. but i was thinking for me personally like i think if my local scene went away i don't even then i don't think i would participate in the online tournaments like i still might read stuff i still might look at stuff and mm -hmm. and i was trying to figure out why because i do enjoy the game but it going away wouldn't cause me to like you know hop online and play where i know i could get games i could play with a lot more people and like objectively everything sing everything sounds great mm -hmm. but i just i don't have that motivation it does just doesn't hold an appeal to me but it's like oh we're gonna play like two or three games like every week at the game shop i'm like hell yeah i'll be there yeah so for you i'm wondering you know it sounds like you have the local scene as well if you're getting like more consistent games or if you had had like the option to play games at your local store like every day do you think you'd still be looking for tournaments held in other places or going online to play tournaments or as long as you're getting enough games would you just kind of stop caring about the tournament scene i think i would 100 if i were able to game every day at the local shop or have regular tournaments like monthly events at my local shop they would absolutely uh replace vassal for me mm -hmm. i love vassal there's it's an incredible tool and has really helped with you know, quarantine over the past few years, but it isn't for everyone. There is a fundamental difference in the experience. You know, on one hand, you completely lose access to the hobby side of the game, which, you know, there's a lot of pride that you can take as you build up your painting skills. I think we're okay to talk about that since Jeff's not here, <laughs> but like I spent, you know, I, I, I've painted a fair bit of stuff over the years in Minnie's land and I've done the whole, Oh, I'm super perfectionist. Oh, I can't believe it looks as horrible to this is fine. And you know, my latest stuff, I'm actually like, dang, I'm really happy with what I've done here. And you lose that in vassal land. 
Mm-hmm. And it's also, yes, you're interacting with people, but then you have this constant like interface that you're, sh- you're struggling with, which you don't have in a real person tournament. Mm-hmm. But I think what you might be talking about more is, and, and I'll kind of pivot into this, is that not only is Vassal a fundamentally different experience because you're doing this digital interface and you're moving, you know, little tokens on a flat board, but the approach, because the game is devoid of the, you know, miniature hobby aspect, it is mm-hmm. 100% more into the game mechanics aspect. Mm-hmm. And some of the tools Vassal provides you, like the measurement auras, um, the ability to clone models and put them into the ideal positions, it can lead itself to being like a, let's try and get the ideal movements and ideal placements for you know, my pieces to make the ideal move. Mm-hmm. Whereas in, in meat space, you know, people bump tables all the time. Stuff gets knocked over. You move, pick up a piece to move it and you go, ah, geez, I don't want to go there. Well, I can't go back to where I was. There's a lot more. It's messier. The whole wobbly model syndrome too. Yeah, a hundred percent. And when it's messier, I think you allow yourself and allow your opponent to be a little more forgiving. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's this, we were talking in the pre-show a bit. I'm going to get a little soapboxy here. There is a platonic ideal of Malifaux. And this platonic ideal assumes that you, the player, have access to an entire faction, every possible permutation of crew that faction can make. And when you go into a game that you have a board set up you spin the, you generate your scenario and then you build your ideal list. In practice, most people have, you know, a handful of keywords. They may not even have full keywords. People are playing the game from all different angles and for all different reasons. Mm-hmm. And I think that oftentimes conversations about the game start from that platonic ideal of, well, I mean, we were talking about when someone gets into the game, like someone comes to your store and is like, hey, what are you playing there? Oh, we're playing Malifaux. Malifaux, tell me more. There's some competing conversations about, or not comp- conversations, but there's competing ideas about what you do with a new player when you're trying to grow your community. Mm-hmm. I know you guys have been trying to grow the community out there. Mm-hmm. Um, did you want to speak to that a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> I felt like you're going somewhere with that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess like that that is kind of one of the interesting things because I feel like that in order to like actually play the game, you need to develop a skill that has nothing to do with the game at all, right? Like mm-hmm. you need to be good at, you know, getting people interested, like speaking up a game, introducing them, like walking them through it. And, you know, like you said, there's so many discussions online about what's the best way to introduce a player to this game. But you know, like in contrast, you know, I'm looking at video games and stuff. It's not, I don't see that conversation really happening, right? It's not like, oh man, what's the best way to like introduce this game to my friend? It's like, well, they just play the game. Like, <laughs> why are we having this discussion, right? Mm-hmm. You go download the game and you go play it. With like tabletop gaming, a lot of it's like, you know, make sure you have painted crews, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, make sure, you know, you're starting them with like easier crews, maybe play like a dumbed down version of the game for a first few times so they can get used to the mechanics before you move on to like a full game. Mm-hmm. And it's 
kind of interesting how, you know, that, I guess, dynamic exists and how it's wholly different from, you know, any discussion with, I guess, like playing the game in and of itself. And what what I think interesting, too, is that you were talking earlier about how you really like solving puzzles and stuff like that and how kind of on Vassal, it abstracts everything to like a very fine, precise level, like a level of precision that, you know, you can't duplicate in in real life with like mm-hmm. actual models and like terrain right. that we paint. So it, it's interesting to me that, and I think most people are in the same boat as you, like if there was a very vibrant local scene of local tournaments are happening, I would think that we would see participation in like these world tournaments fall off quite a bit especially since it only exploded because of the pandemic Mm -hmm. and it's just interesting to me that you know even though i think you know at the high level people are competing in these tournaments they're of a similar mindset they want to see like can this actually work like what can i do in this game what can i do with this crew that's really interesting but even though you have like the game and really probably what it's is its purest form because you have access to all the factions, you have access to all the models, you can measure everything with like pinpoint accuracy that it's not really appealing to the majority of the fan base. Mm-hmm. No, that's, I think that's perfectly valid because it's when you talk about wargaming, it's usually referred to as a hobby, not mm-hmm. just as a game. And you do have folks who make a distinction. Oftentimes, if you know, it'll correlate to how much either painting or the fluff or other aspects of the game outside of the pure mechanics that you get into. But it's interesting because I've never really considered that Vassal allows you to be like pure game mechanics the way you just put it, mm-hmm. but you're right. And it's, fa- and it's interesting because so far every Vassal World Series event has had some form of restriction built into the tournament packet. Now it varies from month to month because it's a month it the every month there's a new thing. But for example, the month we just played, March, as of the time of the recording, mm-hmm. it was called Iron Scorpius. You could not replay the same keyword after you played it in the event. April's is going to be limited access to out of keyword and versatile models. You have a budget of 15 stones to hire outside of your keyword. And so, yes, I mean, even in a situation where we could play truly anything, we're not playing Malifaux out of the box. We are applying our own restrictions to it to make it more interesting to us. Mm -hmm. And I do think part of that is, you know, a desire to keep things fresh and to find different ways to unlock the game. I was listening to Badfo Haku's YouTube channel and they were having a discussion with everyone who had won Adepticon. Mm-hmm. You know, the top three players of Adepticon and that format allowed for master hiring with bands. And that's a format that's in the Gaining Grounds organized play document that I think could do with a bit more discussion. Are you familiar with the bands format at all? Not Wait, I remember there was some discussion where like you would have like three or four keywords and then they could possibly ban an out of keyword or ban one of the keywords you had or so 
the good news is the way they did it, it was not so they couldn't do it that way. Mm-hmm. Now it's a lot more like you're playing League of Legends and you both have both sides have picked at least one hero. OK, so for bands, it was after you declared your leader, you would then be able to ban a keyword and you could not ban a keyword that that leader, you know, was that leader's keyword. Right. So, you know, if you played Yan Lo, your opponent couldn't declare retainer or ancestor as the ban, but they could ban monk. Mm -hmm. And that way, you know, what that did was it ended up creating a, a situation where folks were trying to develop secret tech and keep it secret, Mm. which, you know, that works once after which everyone (laughs) becomes aware of your super secret tech. Right. I'm used to playing without master hiring. You know, my locals tend to do single master, not, you know, enforced because I've also had one local who plays Bayou who loves hiring Ma into everything just because he loves Ma, Mm -hmm. which, you know, valid. But that does, I think, go into a topic I wanted to dig in with you a little bit because you were talking about growing the community and playing a less competitive variation of Malifaux for purposes of building the community. Mm-hmm. And that can be extrapolated out to being having different levels of competitive approaches to the game based on the context of the game and what you and your opponent are trying to get out of the game. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a big believer in session zero for RPGs. Before you guys start playing, you both sit down and say, hey, I want to spend X amount of time with you playing this game. I would like to set some ground rules and expectations for how to do that. Now, that's super formal and I don't think is really (laughs) called for in a game store context Mm. where things tend to be a little more understood. Mm. But it does warrant, you know, since we're having this discussion here, let's let's dig into it and make it a little more overt. Do you have an idea of what the L.A. meta wants to be, what the, you know, Lost Planet meta wants to be? In terms of like competitive or like what restrictions you want to put in the game? Yeah, in in terms of the approach to the game, because competitiveness is not a binary. It's not like you're competitive or casual. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's. it's not Pepsi or Coke. You know, there's a whole... Re- you could have an RC Cola fan at, mm-hmm. in LA. You know, you never know. So do you have that I- uh, idea? I, I don't think it's solidified right now. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think it's kind of a mix. I don't... We don't really have anyone that's like participating in like the Malfa World Series or like going out and really hunting for tournaments necessarily. As far as like the play styles of people within the community like there's people like me who jump around keywords like all the time because um i I think for me i i'm really interested in figuring out if something works but Mm -hmm. i don't really have like the patience or motivation or stamina to like really perfect a crew like i i have a really hard time getting in enough reps to the point where i'm like i know exactly what to do in this situation I'm more like, hey, I thought this would be cool and I'll try it out over like one or two games to see if it works or if it's just like, is this really just like all theory craft and in reality, it just absolutely fails. I have no idea what that's like 
whatsoever. <laughs> Cannot relate. <laughs> Whereas, like, there's other people who, you know, they are like, you know, I really like this crew. I really like this uh, master. I'm just going to play them and get a bunch of reps with them. And then I might slowly introduce new things and, like, try out, you know, new versatiles with them. Or, like, oh, I think this might be really good into this situation who are, are like, a little more focused. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm not sure if that quite answers your question as far as like how like what's the meta like or it it does because what it's telling me is you guys are still figuring it out and frankly every meta is always going to be fluid because everyone's going to want different things on different days mm-hmm. right in you know some folks are going to approach the game night and be like I'm here to play a competitive game but you know weirds fantastic and they have provided us free content in the form of the holiday strategies you know which are not balanced for a competitive game mm-hmm. in the let's just try and score points but are much more of a experience game like mm-hmm. you're playing it to have the oh my gosh we're trying to collect four leaf clovers <laughs> while a murderous leprechaun's after us or something you know something like that mm-hmm. and that creates, you know, a fun time for both players if they're both like, hey, let's have some fun. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, right, this is this is f- supposed to be fun. This is a recreational activity. Right. And, you know, the only difference between this and Warhammer is the rule set. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, it's all make believe. <laughs> it's what you're trying to do with those rules and make believe that tells you where you fall in that spectrum and right now it sounds like the la meta is discovering where it wants to be and that's that's valid mm-hmm. you know here in baltimore uh, we have a fairly strong bent towards playing more of like a gaining grounds higher on the competitive end right we're still making lots of mistakes we're still learning mm-hmm. but there's not a lot of e- emphasis on trying things that are different than the gaining grounds packet you know we've had a few people do the holiday ones Mm -hmm. we've had some effort towards enforcer brawls Mm -hmm. but i wouldn't say that we really have a tendency to play down all that much and play down as in make unoptimal moves for newer players Mm -hmm. we might take crews that are less obviously good for the pool so, for mm-hmm. example, one of my one of the our old players who left the hobby, he's been doing kill team for a while. Right. He's been interested lately. So I gave him a demo game where I brought Sommer Teeth Jones and I ran his just core box. And we did a core box game that was, you know, we, I made sure the stones were equivalent. So that was, I guess, playing a, a, a format that was not the norm. Mm hmm. But I still made my best effort to do the, you know, what is the correct choice to demonstrate how to play the game? Right. It's it's tough. And it really comes down to talking to the person. Like if you if someone's like, hey, I want to learn how to play the game, you know, say, hey, do you want me to, you know, take a more, you know, have that conversation with the opponent, get what they want out of it. Do they just want to put pieces on the table and go, I just want to do stuff. I want to kill stuff. Mm -hmm. Cool. Do you want to play with just strategy? We've had a lot of people who just want to do the strategy and say, miss me with those schemes until I figure out what my models do. Mm-hmm. So I guess what I'm saying for this bit is it's a conversation. 
it's not going to be one size fits all. What works for my meta may not work for yours, may not work for the folks out in Ohio, although I hear they're pretty pretty solid on what they're doing. I mean, on, on that note, you know how we're talking about how like, you know, there's this idea floating around that there's like casual or reverse competitive is like a binary thing, right? Either you are or you aren't. But I think like what you're saying, I find that it, it does seem like people kind of settle in their own little, I guess, medium, depending on like, I guess what their motivations are, because as much as I hear about all these like win at all costs, like terrible people, like, I don't think I've ever really met one or if I have, it's like, they're very rare. Mm-hmm. And you know, not just like, oh, within the Malifaux community, they don't exist. But like, you know, I've been playing a bunch of other games and I feel like it's a very rare thing. And I, I feel like a lot of people too, and I've heard this opinion expressed as much, is that there is, to an extent, some kind of like, I guess, self-policing in a sense. I don't know that many people that are happy with playing like an overtly broken composition or keyword, right? Like if mm-hmm. Weird was just like, all right, we're going to release this new faction. Everything has like, you know, 10 defense, 10 willpower, sat 10. Like, go have fun. I don't think everyone would be like, oh, yeah, this is great. Like, I'm just going to beat everyone I play against. Like, I don't think anyone would enjoy that. Even, you know, competitive, it's like, okay, like, I can crush all my opponents, but mm-hmm. that this isn't enjoyable for me. It's not enjoyable for my opponent. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess this kind of tax on the balance in a sense, too. But I think even without good balance in the game, there's going to be kind of that, I guess, like, yeah, like self-policing in a sense. Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you feel like, I guess in your meta, is it more like as long as it's legal, it's fine, even if it becomes overpowered? Or has there ever been a point where it's like this combination or like this crew, even though everything is like above board and legal, according to Gaining Grounds, we're just not going to run it because it's not good for anyone. Interesting. I have a couple answers to that. And I mean couple answers because it is there's an answer that's relevant to my meat space and there's an answer that's relevant to Vassal. But what I want to dig up first is I concur with your observation that there's a self-policing element to the community. And what it boils down to is that if you're a jerk, you probably (laughs) don't stick around very long in these hobby spaces because at the end of the day this is a voluntary spend your time doing what you enjoy activity mm-hmm. and it's no one is forcing anyone to play you mm-hmm. and if you're going to be a unpleasant play experience a negative play experience even you will find people who do not want to play you and if you insist on coming and not playing anyone and being a problem, most game stores, you know, they don't want to have someone in their store who is suppressing player turnout, people coming in, making sales, stuff like that. It's, 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 it solves itself by virtue of its context. In a virtual space, you have things like moderators. If someone is a problematic member of the community, they'll get talked to and because these are all voluntary, you can come and play in our shop, digital shop, but if you're a jerk, we can digitally kick you out. And that attitude of being a good sportsman versus a you know poor loser 
is completely independent of how competitive you are. Sight Tangent, my other game outside of Malifaux that I play a lot of is Dungeons and Dragons. I've done roleplay for a while because it's another kind of puzzle, but it's also improv and I've done improv in college, so I like improv. There's a discussion in the Dungeons and Dragons community that's been going on since I don't know when about min-maxing. Now, min-maxing for all two of you out there who don't know what I mean is when you are making a character, you minimize their weaknesses and maximize their strengths. One school of thought is that this is terrible. Nobody is interesting if they're a fighter who's really good at fighting or, you know, a wizard who's the smartest wizard ever. Leaning into that makes them too strong and it takes away from the gritty realism that people have flaws. You know, a real person, like, compare DC heroes to Marvel heroes. Mm -hmm. DC heroes, min-maxed. Marvel heroes, not min-maxed. I swear it makes sense if you think about it. (laughs) At the same time, the other school of thought is that, no, we're playing a heroic fantasy. I get to be whoever I want to be in this fantasy world. I want to be the strong fighter who is strong. I don't want to be a fighter with eight strength because it's, quote, interesting, quote. And those are two very like extreme examples, but like most things, conversations swing between either end of those extremes. And that conversation has been going on forever. And at the end of the day, you can play the barbarian in five edi- fifth edition who survives everything and destroys everything. You can play a bard with eight charisma who can't play a music and can't speak and does has all the negatives ever. And you guys can have fun as long as the people you're playing with and you understand what you're doing and you're all on board together. Again, you have that social contract. You've had that conversation. That's the important thing. So rant over to summarize. Yes, we have had instances in both my meat space store and in virtual space where we've had people come into the community who ultimately did not stay in the community because they were not pleasant play experiences. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes what came about, the reason it came about is that they were argumentative, confrontational, not interested in working through things and issues with the game with the community, but it was an adversarial approach. Does that make sense? So like it was, I'm right, you're wrong, or they were, I guess, trying to gain advantages with bringing up arguments all the time, or... Yes. Is that what you... Okay. Yeah. Like misinterpreting rules and arguing until, you know, making it a point where it was easier to either not argue with the person or not to play the person. Mm -hmm. And while ostensibly you could say, oh, they were arguing for advantage, ergo they were competitive... I would say they weren't a competitive player is going to like you, like you said at the start, you get really invested in a game. You try and figure out what the mechanics are. You try and figure out where you can bend the mechanics within the bounds of the game. 
towards scoring, towards victory, towards whatever you want to call it, right? That's normal. You know, that's that's what you that's how games are played. Mm-hmm. You you leverage the rules to to the victory condition. Making up rules or conveniently ignoring rules and arguing about it, even when confronted with the reading, that's not competitive. That's I want to win. And I'm not tr- I'm not sure how to really articulate the difference between a competitive spirit and a win win at all costs. There you go. The infamous win at all costs. That's the fundamental difference. And I don't think there are very many people who are win at all costs that are truly win at all costs in gaming that I've run into. They're more like a myth. So I'm kind of curious about a couple of things, but I guess the first thing that comes to mind is that when you did come up with some of those argumentative or like has like a very, you know, undesirable personality traits, did you actually sit down and talk with them and like try and go through it? Or was it really just like, at this point, there was just so much ill will. It's just like, all right, you know, like no one's going to play with you. Or like, how, how did that end up? Were you just like, all right, you, no one wants to play with you. Just please don't come back. Or was it just eventually they just stopped showing up? It, it was a process. You know, at first we were, you know, we would say, hey, now, let, whoa, 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 let's talk this out. Okay, we'll, we'll get a ruling. We'll play with that ruling and then we'll figure it out later. Okay, you're still on about this. You know what? I don't really feel like playing you today. And then in one particular instance, the store did get involved and said, hey, there are people who are not playing anymore because of this person. We, are, we cannot have that. Mm-hmm. So that was actually for a different game was the, the person was a problem. But yeah, no, that, that's, you know, it's never a one and done. It's always tried to be a conversation because most people are reasonable, right? Mm -hmm. Again, this is, this is a game. We all are living, we're working, we're doing whatever we do through the day to get by. Most of us, our lives are not at stake. If we don't play the game, you know, this isn't Yu-Gi-Oh. We're not going to the shadow realm. If we lose a game of Malifaux, it's not worth getting super bent out of shape over this is gonna be a weird side tangent but did you ever read like the first few chapters of the Yu-Gi-Oh manga i did shit is so fucking dark <laughs> i i was not prepared i was not prepared for this moon knight level bananasness <laughs> those of you who are unfamiliar definitely look into it we it's it's intense yeah it is it is definitely not the it's not kind of like the comical weird stakes they have from the card game. I guess like even in the anime, the stakes are uh, ostensibly pretty high, but it, it just feels so over the top that it doesn't feel real. Yeah, because it's like, oh, it's a children's card game. Ha 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 ha. But like, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, the manga started with it's it's not a card game. It's like a variety of games. They're all games, but it's almost like a horror bit because these children games are now given a deadly end to it. Almost like um, Squid Games did. Kind of. Like children's games, but suddenly the stakes are your life or your soul. Yeah, it wasn't... Well, because the thing was, it wasn't even necessarily like some kind of organized thing. Because what I remember... I guess there's spoilers, right? Who cares? Like, this shit's You're spoiling a 20-year-old manga? (laughs) There was like... um, I think this guy was like 
robbing the store and he had a gun. Mm-hmm. And then Yugi was like, all right, let's play a game. And it's like, you can only use one finger and I can only use like one finger. And the guy's like, oh, I'm going to use my pointer finger for the trigger on the gun. And I'll shoot you if you do anything weird. And then Yugi's like, all right, I'll just, I'll use my thumb. And then they're talking and the whole time the guy's like pouring a bottle of alcohol, but he's like so involved. He doesn't, it's like spilled all over the table and into his lap. And Yugi with his thumb, he just lights a lighter and he holds it over the table. He says, okay, you can either let me go or you shoot me and you're going to set yourself on fire. (laughs) And he lets him go. And as Yugi's walking away, he just like throws the lighter on the table anyways and lights the motherfucker (laughs) on fire. I was like, he just fucking killed someone. (laughs) And this, my friends, is why you don't. Yeah, don't lose children card games. Um, I guess this is an argument for being win at all costs. (laughs) No, no, this is not. That is not the (laughs) takeaway you should be having for this. But that is an interesting tangent. (laughs) Um, But I mean, it's good to hear how you handle it. Um, It's just I, I guess for me, it's always it's always really difficult to approach these like, I guess like social corrections. I think it's really hard to in general to have talks with people about like, I guess behaviors or stuff that they have that, you know, are generally found, I guess, undesirable or especially in like kind of like a, in a gaming sense, right. If they're very abrasive, Mm -hmm. if they're arguing all the time, especially if they're very argumentative, it honestly, a lot of the times to me, I'm like, it's just not worth it. Like, I'm just, I'm just not going to deal with this person. Like, I feel it's so much harder to actually have that discussion with them and say about, you know, why you find them, I guess, unenjoyable to play with or why you're not going to play with them anymore. It's so much easier just to just drop it and just not deal with them anymore. Yeah, no, I mean, there there's a couple places I want to go with this. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> so first off, in in our lives, you know, in in your life. There are people that you are expected to have open, honest conversations with. Usually it's like close family, close friends, significant others. Socially, that's acceptable. Socially, that's expected. Even in there, you'll probably have topics that are just, you know, we don't talk about that. Mm -hmm. We don't talk about Bruno, even though you should. I mean, that's the whole point of that movie is address family trauma. But in a... What, what people call, what I've heard called the third place, you know, everyone has their home, they have work, and then they have a third place, which is usually a place they go to have a, you know, social outlet, right. like a game store. Suddenly, there's all these additional rules of expecta- expected behavior mm-hmm. that our society puts on us. And I know growing up, I had a whole host of expectations of we do not directly discuss problems. We will discuss them by proxy, we'll talk around the issue. And, you know, you learn these like subtle ways to communicate things, such as at a store, simply not engaging with someone. So they learn that they are not, so they would eventually uh, stop doing their behavior. Mm -hmm. And that's not healthy, but I don't think we as, you know, since you and I are both, you know, we're different parts of America, but we've both been playing and mostly in American game stores. I think that's just kind of like an American culture thing. Mm-hmm. I can't speak to other, I won't speak to other, you know, stores, but my experience has been that it's really hard to have those conversations. Cause I, it, it, with the other game that I was talking about earlier, I had to have that sit down talk with somebody and 
they were not prepared to have a a real conversation about their behavior. Mm -hmm. And I was barely prepared to have that conversation. (laughs) Like it, it triggered all of the anxieties that I had about being confrontational and what is supposed to be my fun, relaxed space. Mm -hmm. All that aside, I do think that makes it difficult, but I think if we recognize that and say, you know what, this may be like our fun place, but it's our fun place and we deserve to have a place we can go relax and enjoy our hobby the way we want to enjoy it. So yeah, I am going to tell you, hey, you're being a dick. Stop being a dick. You know? Mm -hmm. And it's not that you're being, you yourself, as long as you do it the right way, Right. You know, if I, if I went up to you and said, you're being a dick, that's me being a dick. <laughs> and two dicks don't make a right. Yes, as the saying goes. Yes. You know, two wrongs, too many negative approaches. Again, you're trying to have fun, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's something, I mean, I agree with you. I, I think that's how it should be handled. And I, I think that's one of the things, too, because I realize, at least for me, you know, there are a lot of times where, I was doing something that was like really annoying or really obnoxious to the people around me, but it's not like I had any intent of being annoying or obnoxious. And mm-hmm. it wasn't until someone actually sat me down. It's like, you, you do realize that everyone hates this, right? I was like, wait, what? It was really easy to drop that behavior because it wasn't like I had any kind of attachment to it. I just didn't really realize like how, I guess, annoying I was being. And it it just makes me think, you know, there's some people, you know, you'll meet or like if you go to a game store, you meet with someone and they have like kind of an attitude or a way of behaving that, you know, is like kind of offensive. A lot of the times it's easy to think like, oh, they're just an asshole, right? Like they have to be a jerk. But I think a lot of times it's just no one's really ever said to them straight up, like you do realize that this behavior is really toxic and people hate you for it. That is a statement that i think is more true than i want to personally accept right now (laughs) because i see myself in it Mm. but you're right i try not i do think that most outside of you know serial killers or sociopaths most people are generally trying to be what they view to be decent human beings Mm -hmm. there are very few actively trying to be bad people out there and so trying and so assuming good intent is really important. And that you know that goes for in game when people are like oh I wanted to do this but I didn't I didn't remember that rule or oops I flipped the wrong card or you know I meant to put this model here and to out of game like if so you know someone can just have a bad day and if that's the day you meet them you know that creates a bad first impression. Mhm. I want to say that one of the players at my local shop. Oh, no, I was trying to teach a coworker Warhammer once. And and we were already like good friends. Right. I had Dark Angels back when, you know, before they like I think it was like seventh, sixth edition or something before they had a codex. And it was just they were the it was just when the new box starter set came out, you know, where it was um, Crimson Slaughter and Dark Angels Mm -hmm. because we were playing with that that starter set and i just happened to you know in demonstrating the rules ended up tabling him and i was like this this actually speaks it 
interestingly back to your first point about you know toning it down in a demo game because i was like (laughs) oh i just want to show okay so this is plasma and i roll okay so you don't get saves for that okay and then here's my power sword and oh that's two of your guys dead and and then i looked up and was like oh you have completely checked out of this game and i have just been sitting here making you pick up your pieces not caring that you were no longer enjoying yourself Mm-hmm. I've been a complete and total jerk because I haven't considered your experience here. Mm-hmm. You asked me to show you the game and here I am just kind of like showing off or something. So yeah, I do think people need to be told more often than not when their behaviors are being not helpful or mm-hmm. they need a, you know, their behaviors could do a check. Right. In a game store context, it can be difficult, but if you are able to have that conversation with people in your community, that's great. Every community needs that. You know, interestingly enough, I was, that just kind of reminded me, you're talking about how, you know, you like accidentally tabled your friend when you're trying to teach Mm -hmm. him the game and how that just ended up in like a no one for anyone, right? Like your friend has a very bad impression of the game and now you possibly ruined your chance to have another gaming buddy. Mm -hmm. Hopefully it turned out okay in the end, but I I guess it, it had me thinking, you know, as far as, like there's also this whole, I guess, along with this negative idea of anyone that plays competitively. There's also this very negative idea of anyone that is like really intent on like understanding the resolution of specific rules or corner cases, right? You call them like rules lawyers because they're trying to make Mm -hmm. sure that everything's played correctly. Mm -hmm. But to me, like understand when I get into a game, I probably mentioned this earlier, that I just get like super into it. I read everything. I read all the rules. I'm like, what can I break? You know, what's broken? What, What can I do? And it kind of helps in demoing the game, honestly, to me, because I know what the cool things that you can do in the game are. Mm -hmm. And I kind of know what I shouldn't be doing in a demo game so as to not like either table my opponent or have it very obvious that I have to like twist the rules to make sure you can stay Mm -hmm. in the game long enough for me to finish the demo, right? Like lucky rolls happen sometimes, like you're getting all sixes, you're flipping high cards all the time. Mm-hmm. But for me, it feels really bad in a demo. It's like, oh, okay, I killed all your guys, but let's just, you know, reverse time and say those are all ones. Like, it feel, for me, it kind of, like, breaks me out of the demo a little bit. Like, oh, mm-hmm. you're showing me a sub-portion of this game, and it was over before I could even do anything in the game. Yeah. I mean, I do want to take a moment and state that, as we said <laughs> earlier, Warhammer's not known necessarily for being a balanced game. Mm-hmm. And we're not here to to shit on Warhammer players, but uh, I will say that for Malifaux, demos have been a lot smoother. A, I'm a more experienced player. I know how to demo better. But -hmm. also, I do think that if you build two comparably costed crews and play like a a scenario that focuses on moving and interacting and fighting in, in tandem. So like a turf war sort of game. Mm-hmm. Malifaux has ways to score points that don't involve taking your opponent's models off the table. And if you do that, you're both showing that you don't have to take your opponent's models off the table to win the game. Mm-hmm. And you're keeping pieces on so your opponent can still play the game. I think Malifaux is one of the games that is really good for demos because you don't have to remove your opponent's agency to demonstrate good moves. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I, I agree with that because I think one of the benefits too, I think everyone probably agrees with this in the abstract, but you know, having, I guess, 
for better for people who are interested in the competitive aspect of tabletop games is beneficial to everyone because if we're able to find things that are like rules that are busted combinations that are broken or models that are clearly overpowered it makes it so much easier like you said in mouth it's easy to throw together a basic crew say you hit 50 points and you know that it's not going to be a complete blowout unless mm-hmm. you're like specifically engineering it to be and like that's one of the reasons why having people that are looking at the rules making sure everything's being resolved correctly looking at these edge cases i think is really important to the overall health of the game because then it makes it easy where if someone's like really drawn in by a model they can throw it on the table and it can have a purpose Mm because nothing like one of the things that kind of broke my heart when I was introducing my wife to Malifo is she got really into the dreamer and she really liked Teddy, but Teddy just never did anything in the games she played. Mm-hmm. And he just ended up never seeing table time. Cause like, even though she like, like the model, you know, it's a giant teddy bear, but yeah, it was just hard to bring it into games because he just wasn't pulling weight and you couldn't, you know, it kind of loses its shimmer and not so much that like, oh, like it's because he wasn't strong enough and she's like a power game or anything. But it's kind of sad when you love a model and you see them on the table and you see them not live up to like their lore or to what they're meant to be. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of hurts seeing them there. Well, especially for a game like Malifaux, which is so tied to narrative, mm-hmm. you know, there are game. there's no generic leader other games like 40k have had that like the warhammer franchise has had that your dudes concept where like Mm -hmm. you can play non-named characters and come up with the backstory and do all this stuff and that allows you to create narrative and story so you have a game where your character just flubs and oh that's just unlucky paul and his his dragon mount that keeps dying on him and you know you can make it fun versus teddy this is a nightmare creature he's got big scary claws he's going to gobble you up he looks like he should do damage and then you put him on the table and he dies <laughs> and, so and then fast. you go oh well what happened what, what oh that's it models that have had that happen you know they don't see table time sometimes people still play them you know i have unironically hired carver when I played Pandora, I don't think he's a great model, mm-hmm. but I, I painted him with a pumpkin head and I wanted to run him. And, you know, sometimes some days you have a game and you're like, I just want to play Pandora today because I just finished that paint job. Right. And, you know, I'm not expecting to win, but I want to put them on the table and see how they do. But if you're playing the game, you're like, I want to play this model and it is not performing and then you don't take it, then, yeah, it, it removes your motivation for getting into the game almost yeah and i think also to just like balance at a greater level like you know you put pandora on the table and you're not expecting to win but you're still happy to play but Mm -hmm. i feel like that conversation changes so much if like you get crushed in the game and you're like wait what did i do wrong and then you're looking around everyone's like oh no pandora's just shit (laughs) she's Mm -hmm. useless (laughs) the whole keyword is like trash like never play them again that's really going to kill your motivation. And like mm-hmm. when there's new players coming in and they're super excited about like a crew, like it's the worst thing in the world to be like, they're not good. <laughs> like, no, don't. And that brings us to another topic I really wanted to get into with you here is when we have new people coming into online spaces mm-hmm. and asking about 
we had one today in the Vassal Discord in the Bayou chat. Someone came in and was like, hey, I played in first and second edition. I have my old Ophelia models. What's a good Ophelia list? Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's two real, there's two ways people approach this question. It's, well, what's the pool? That was intentional. Or it's, <laughs> you know, well, most crews will have this as a core and then they can flex in this way. Do you have an idea of what you're playing into? I mean, yes, that platonic ideal of Malifaux is that you always build to the scenario and to your opponent. But we have enough tournaments now. We have enough people who have talked about their tournament experience mm-hmm. that net listing and set lists exist in the game. And to pretend they don't exist in the game is just ignorance. And I apologize if folks can hear, but my dog needs to go outside. So, I'm... But yeah, so um, where were we talking? We were talking about that conversation with new players. And so is it helpful to a player to tell them, you know, to say, what's the pool before giving them any advice when someone who comes in may not know that Malifaux is a game where you build crews after scenario. Mm-hmm. I don't think it is helpful. I think it can be a little off-putting when someone says, hey, how do I build a list? And to be told, well, I'm not going to answer until you give us more information. I don't know that information. I don't know what to tell you about my scenario. I'm trying to figure out how do I do this? What should I look for? I think it's better to take the time and say, hey, you're playing Ophelia. She loves playing all of her kin models. She can play with these versatiles well as as well. And I like to take her into pools where it's this, this or this. Mm -hmm. And that kind of conversation then leads into stuff like, okay, so what does a typical list look like? Well, I like to start with this and then I'll go this way in this situation or that way in that situation. Oh, okay. In other games, you tend it tends to be a you build a list and that's the list, right? Right. And like we do like I was saying earlier, we have that in Malifaux too. I think I was watching uh, Bad Haku after you were talking about in the last episode for you getting into Karai. Mhm. I was looking at Karai 2 games on YouTube and Haku was running pretty much the same list in three or four different Vassal games. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would actually encourage you to check it out because it's almost it's almost entirely keyword. OK, uh, he hires Madame Sybil out of keyword. Interesting. Because of her aura of negatives to willpower because of Scarlet Temptation. Oh, God, OK. <laughs> Um, plus the AOE heal, which on her bonus, which combos with Karai's ability, say when a Yurami would heal, another Yurami could heal instead. Right. Oop, one sec. Dog's back. So, so yeah, your thoughts. My thoughts on the approach to the game of getting people into the game being oh i guess the idea that you can be helpful to players by talking about net listing and that's not necessarily i guess i didn't go that far into the why that dichotomy exists and i think there's this 
element of if I tell someone you build an Ophelia list by taking all the kin and Bo Peep Mm -hmm. that I'm depriving them of the essential malifoness of building a crew to suit the pool and it's net listing and net listing is just win at all costs trying to get the maximum power with minimal effort Mm -hmm. and i think going back to the point we made earlier i think you can i think those are two separate concepts i think Mm -hmm. you can tell someone this is a starter list this is a typical list this is the common list taken Mm -hmm. and has nothing to do with this person trying to be a win at all costs or i'm somehow depriving them of some learning opportunity does that make sense yeah so i i agree i think your approach is the best but i wouldn't necessarily ascribe malice to someone who asks like well what's the pool um because for me looking at it when People ask me for recommendations. I panic a little because I don't mm-hmm. want to give them incorrect information. Like, I don't want to tell mm-hmm. them this model is good. And then later on, like, look up and find out, like, no, this, everyone thinks it's bad. So I guess, like, being charitable, I'd imagine a lot of the people when they're asking for the pool is because they want to help them make a list that actually fits the recommendations rather than because they might fear that, Oh, if we give them the standard list and they go into this game and they get their ass kicked, it's Mm going to be like, I just set them up for failure. Mm -hmm. No, that's fair. That's, that's fair. And I deserve that call out. (laughs) So I appreciate you being comfortable in confronting me on a non helpful, non healthy attitude that I was having that might make me (laughs) unpleasant to interact with. You're, you're, you're welcome. <laughs> but because it, it kind of got me thinking because I've mentioned lately, but I've been playing like a lot of Monster Apocalypse lately. Mm-hmm. And they've recently like they released regular updates and the latest update, they touched on a lot of models and they brought everything into a pretty healthy space, which to mm-hmm. me was actually like really comforting in the sense that when I'm trying to get new players into it and they're saying, oh like who should i play or like what's good and i can pretty much say it's like honestly everything is good like you can't really make a wrong decision right now because usually you have like you'll pick two monsters and then kind of build a list around that Hmm. but it's like if you pick like there are some pairs that are not great but i can at least like advise against that but really it really it just starts off with who do you think looks cool like you pick someone mm-hmm. that looks cool and then I can make recommendations on who to pair. But okay. so it makes it easier because I'm like, all right, whatever you like, like we can make something that's going to be fine. You're not going to pick something you like and then like just get your ass kicked all the time because they're terrible in the game. Like the game's in a good enough spot that you're not going to have a miserable experience just playing what you think is looks cool. Granted, if you want to be, if you have a more competitive mind, you really want to make sure that you're, I guess, exploring the full depth of the game. There's definitely a lot of tweaks you can make as you learn about the game, but I feel like a lot of those discussions are better had after, you know, you've played a little bit and decided what you really want out of the game. Mm -hmm. And I think that's fair because I I guess there's always, always like this idea too that if someone's competitive, they're competitive in absolutely everything they do, which I don't think is necessarily true. 
Oh, I would I would concur. I don't think that's everyone. Everything. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Yeah, because like, I mean, for myself, there's certain games that I'm really invested into that I really enjoy. I really like playing and I love learning about all the different approaches people have to the game. But there's other games where my interest level isn't high enough that I'm not actually, you know, like looking through online forums, talking to people, making podcasts, <laughs> talking mm-hmm. about, you know, what's the best way to approach this? What's actually strong in the game? What's balanced? Like there's so many other games. It's like, I don't I don't know what's what's strong. Like all of my information is completely informed from other people because I don't play enough to actually have a strong opinion on anything. Mm-hmm. I yeah i I am with you there motivation and inspiration are fickle Mm -hmm. you know we were talking about hobby stuff before the episode and you were saying i was asking how your karai (laughs) crew was going and you said that you just you know the the desire to paint left Mm -hmm. it went away for a little bit and you know that happens and that can happen in everything in in a hobby setting because the hobbies are the things you can choose to do. It's not like work, which you kind of have to do or, you know, eating, which if you don't do is bad for you. So what do you think? Um, how are you feeling at this point about your approach to the game after our conversation? Like when we started this, this talk earlier, you were like reflecting on your approach to Malifone, whether or not you would be playing it if the local scene disappeared. Mm-hmm. Has our conversation jostled anything for you? I I mean, I think overall, it's still kind of the same thing that, yeah, if the local scene disappeared, I don't think I would find a refuge in the online world of Malifaux. Mm -hmm. As great as it is, because I'm still trying to figure out exactly why that is. I've landed on a couple of things I think it might be. But Mm -hmm. it kind of had me thinking that probably personally, my ideal setup is that in the local meta, there are a bunch of really competitive people that will like go to tournaments, play online, and do all that stuff. So I have like sounding boards for testing out stupid things and seeing if they work. Because, okay. you know, like I mentioned before, I think part of the reason that tournaments don't quite appeal to me is I'm not sure if I want to play the same crew for that many rounds. Valid. That's valid. And... It's like, yeah, you can switch out things. But like for me, it's like when I get to like a game, I'll have like one thing I really want to try and it'll just like gnaw on my mind to the point where playing anything other than that is really unappealing. Mm -hmm. So like recently, Malfo, like I was like, oh, I kind of want to throw down the Urami keyword. And it's Mm -hmm. gotten to the point where like I go to the shop and like, you know, I'll still play Malfo, but it's like, I'm not as invested in the game because I'm just thinking like, like I need to get my ship painted so I can play Urami and like see how they actually play on the table. See if like all my little thoughts were like correct. Do they actually play this way? Is this a valid way to play them? Are they strong into these schemes? Are they weak into these schemes? And it kind of like draws away from, I guess the game itself. And I think that kind of applies to tournaments as well. Like if I go there and I throw down Urami on like the first, round and then i get an answer to all my questions like suddenly i'm i'm not really as interested in sticking around for the rest of the tournament yeah it's it, you've collapsed the wave function it's you now have an answer mm-hmm. hmm. 
So then I, I guess for you, are you, cause it sounds like, I mean, you definitely also like playing around with like kind of the jank and trying out these ideas. Is there like a, do you just have like so many things you want to try that you just really need to get in as many games as you can to try it all out? Or is there something else that's like helping you, keeping you motivated or like pushing you towards participating in these tournaments? Um, I think that a combination of work stresses lead me to really want to find way outlets in my mm. free time, which, you know, hey, I, you know, gaming is great for that. I do have a lot of different things I want to try because there's just so many, especially with titles now, mm-hmm. just just the short list off the top of my head. There's purely mechanics wise. I am super fascinated with the McMorning and Sanitary Unpack. We did the reveal for that. I've talked about it on a, a couple pods. I've played against it a bunch and I've seen so many different versions of it. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, oh man, I could do this and I could do that. Oh, I am really curious if I can get Lootmonger Sommer to work mm-hmm. because I've tried him a few times. I have almost the entire keyword painted and based and in a way that I feel proud of. So I'm like, I could take that to a tournament and no one would expect it. And I'd have Dark Horse Factor, which I like. I want to play Raspy because I think her new title was really good. I have fancy. This is where we're starting to get to aesthetics. I have fancy ice pillar tokens that I got printed and I want to use them. I want to buy the third edition sculpts for Misaki and Last Blossom to paint them up. And I've, I think I've said this in a couple of pods to paint them up like the Akura clan from the Cradle series, which is a, uh, it's a series that's on, if you have Amazon Kindle, you can listen to it. I think it's part of the Prime package, so you can listen for free. Um, really good fantasy story, but they're like a family of shadow mages, shadow mage people. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's perfect for Misaki, and I can paint them all in that aesthetic and mm-hmm. so that's like a pure, I want to paint it. And then, of course, I have them now. I have to play them. I could go on. But like you, I get super invested into this, mm-hmm. you know, on breaks at lunch at, at work. I'll be looking at the app. I'll be driving and I'll be listening to podcasts about it. I definitely fill a lot of my spare time thinking about the game. Right. And as a result, I want to play it more. Mm-hmm. I do find when I take time away from the game, like if I have a weekend where I'm doing a a different thing and it's like engaging my time or over the holidays, my interest in the game plummets. Interesting. Like if I step away from the engagement with the community mm-hmm. and like go a week or two without playing, I will instantly start looking at other sources of, of gaming outlets. Like I will go into my Steam library, dust that mm-hmm. off. Lately, I've stumbled back into magic the gathering arena okay um you know so i guess for me there's maybe there's an element of sunk cost fallacy (laughs) like i've spent so much money and i spend all this time thinking about it that i just perpetually think about it right and if i step away from it i'm like i i can't like dive back into it i want to look think about other things right huh I guess is that is that like a common experience you've had with like other games you've had in the past? I assume you oh, haven't yeah. been playing Malifaux the entirety of your life. Or oh yeah, no. Career. Like 
uh, weirdly enough, not weirdly enough, makes sense now. Uh, when I was when I was very little, like back when second edition D&D was out, right. I got the books because I love to read them. Mm-hmm. I tried to play D&D with my grandparents. Mm-hmm. Bless their heart. They didn't know what the first thing about it was. We never actually had a session, uh-huh. but I remember trying to help them make characters and they were like, oh, this is nice and not really, you know, I've, I, tr- I was obsessed with D&D. Warhammer, I never had the money, but I was always like focused on it through college. After college, I was obsessed with an online play-by-post role-play community I was in. Okay. And then once money started coming in, I started playing Warhammer. And then that became, I would go every weekend, Mm -hmm. I would build, I would work on painting it. It was the thing. So yeah, I would say I've always found a game and latched onto it so then i I guess because like what you're describing i feel like it's kind of similar to my mindset but i definitely don't go to like the depth that you do like my interest won't hold me out to the point where i'm thinking of how am i exactly going to unpack this crew to make sure it works i'm like the high level stuff like okay it kind of works like good enough for me Mm -hmm. but then i also it also sounds like i might just like splash into a lot more games than you do as well so like Outside of mm-hmm. Malifaux, I guess, like, how many games are you playing right now? Because for me, like, I'm playing Malifaux, I'm playing Mantic Armada, I'm playing uh, Monster Apocalypse, I just started Nirishima Hex, and then I I buy shit tons of stuff on Steam sales, because mm-hmm. it's so, <laughs> so cheap. I mean, like, right now, I play Malifaux, I play Magic the Gathering Arena as of last weekend, because <laughs> one of my buddies has been poking me to play it for like you know months mm-hmm. i'm in it every other week through the breach campaign and on the off weeks on the same day it's sundays mm-hmm. i have a D campaign so i'm in two role play games i'm a role play game every week other than that i just have my gotcha game of the flavor of the month i say month i've been playing i'm playing arc knights right now because okay. i've been playing that for a while and that's fun that's a tower defense mobile game and it's a thing that i can it auto is one of those autoplay things oh like auto battlers yeah Um, Mm -hmm. once you play through a level you can hit hit it to auto replay it to gain the oh right yeah 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 spend your daily resource to get your you know daily quests so that you get your resources and that i do because it's a puzzle it's also puzzle because it's tower defense that's a puzzle game right and there's also the whole gotcha collectible element to it like well, we got to level up my character, got to get that new character. Mm-hmm. But it's also very free to play friendly, so I'm not actually putting money into it. A lot of what I've been doing lately has been as close to free to pay, free to play as I could. <laughs> because, you know, it's expensive out there these days. Yeah. So if I could stay home and play games outside of the hobby days at local store, mm-hmm. that's a ideal. So, yeah, I don't really expand out from a few games, mm-hmm. although I will say talking with you right now and looking at it, the uh, Monster Apocalypse doesn't look like it's a huge buy in. It's not too bad. Um, the The sticking point for a lot of people, I think, end up being the buildings because you have to buy the buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like the initial buy in isn't too bad. The nicest part to me is that after you get the initial buy in, it's really easy to switch up your mm-hmm. list because like there's 
we're a monster apocalypse podcast now but there's there's basically <laughs> just two faction uh two agendas there's the protectors and the destroyers you can mix and match in in them as you please um so once you have like your unit list and your building list like you can just switch up you can just like buy a new monster for like 30 bucks and mm-hmm. just play paint that and play it and you have a completely different experience yeah no, I mean, I'm seeing that you have a ton of different aesthetics here, and like it looks like you can play wholly in theme. Like, there's a whole army of gorillas with army camo on and rocket launchers, which looks amazing. Yep. Or you, I guess you can mix and match it and have like that with this ooze-looking guy. Uh, the apes and the ooze can't mix, but oh, because our apes different for, agendas. They're different apes agendas. are protectors. They also have like a really great uh tabletop similar module so i definitely recommend checking that out okay if you ever want to do a demo game i'm more than happy to run you through it but it yeah it sounds like you have a lot on your plate though Mm -hmm. (laughs) like hearing about it it, it's kind of interesting to me now because i think jeff is kind of similar to you that like he gets pretty deep into games he's also like very heavily into the collection side which from my understanding of your malico collection you're pretty close to that as well I uh, I would say so, yes. <laughs> because I tried to approach that idea, the platonic ideal of I have an entire faction. I can pick mm. anything. And then I end up picking a fraction of it <laughs> in actual play. But I enjoyed painting them, so that's I got value out of that. I mean, as long as you get enjoyment out of it, it's good. But hearing about your approach and then Jess' approach, I feel like I'm very erratic in my approach to games. Mm. And then lately I've been better about it. Not not in the sense that I've been doing it less, but I guess I've come to embrace it more because what was really bad for me is I would try to like convince myself I could have that like level of focus and detail that you seem to have for Malifo. Or I guess like the amount of like with Jeff's obsession with having if he picks a game, he has to get everything for it. And mm-hmm. I just realized that like I I cannot do that approach. It doesn't work out well for me. And I just need to kind of I guess lean into my manic state as much as I can <laughs> mm-hmm. when I get into a game and just enjoy it while it lasts. I mean, to be fair, it's you know recognize, excuse me, recognizing that and and doing it is like speaks to self knowledge, which at the end of the day is pretty impressive. Thank you for uh, helping me. I guess feed my addictions. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we all have our own thing, right? Like, none. Of, everyone's human. Every human has their own thing that makes the happy brain chemicals go. Mm-hmm. And if yours is more, you said erratic. I'm going to say yours is more intuitive. Because <laughs> that's that a, a nicer word. That is a much nicer way of saying it. But no, I mean, it works for you. That's what's important. There's no one way to enjoy this hobby i guess in the end i think that's really all we're trying to say in this whole thing with the idea of like i guess being casual versus competitive i think it's very important to find out where you sit what you enjoy and being able to effectively communicate that to people even if it means having to approach that uncomfortable line of confrontation yeah wait 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 so we're saying know what you want Talk to the people you spend time with, understand what they want, be authentic and true to each other, and don't be a jerk. Welcome to the other coast. 
a relationship podcast, a relationship therapy podcast. Out. <laughs> Just not here. We can do whatever the fuck we want. <laughs> I mean, it, that is what it boils down to, but I, mm-hmm. I think it can be really hard because I'm still not a hundred percent sure why I'm so hesitant to join in tournament. And I still have to think about like this, the concrete reason why. Mm-hmm. And you know what? That's fine. You know, you take your time and, uh, do what makes you happy until then. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that's a good place to sign off. Yeah. Yeah. I think that about wraps up everything we wanted to say. If you enjoyed following our ramblings, thank you for listening. And if you want to support us in the future, we have a Patreon. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook. On We have a Discord you can join if you want to talk to us directly or share your opinions about the episode. It's always great hearing what people think because... Really, without the feedback, I'm not sure if we would continue doing this. Yeah. Speaking our ideas out of the void. And it's just nice to know whether people agree with us, disagree with us. And it's always nice hearing about other people's opinions, other people's motivations and their approaches for the game. Because, yeah, I think it can hopefully help everyone enjoy Malifaux or whatever other games they play to a higher degree. Agreed. And I guess with that, we'll be signing off. So good night, everyone. Good night, everybody.